All right, well, last week we started a, a brand new series entitled Living in His Light and Love. We're making our, basically just a systematic study through the book of First John. If you missed last week, I'd love to invite you to check out our live stream page or our podcast, uh, Facebook page. It should be there recorded. Um, you can have some context. But we're going to pick up where we left off in verse 5 of 1 John chapter 1. So, Again, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 John chapter 1 with me or tab over in your electronic devices. We'll be looking at verses 5 through 7 this morning and entitled our message for this Sunday, Walk in the Light. Walk in the Light, 1 John 1, 5 through 7. All right, if you're there, I invite you to stand with me, please, in honor of God and his word. John the Apostle, John the Beloved, as he would refer to himself in the Gospel of John, he pens these words. He says, this is the message, verse 5, we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, John just shoots straight. He says, we lie. We do not practice the truth, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We're going to pause there for our time of study, and would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ beyond this life, Lord. There, there's the hope of heaven that you have given us. And as we were reminded some weeks ago at our Christmas Eve service, Lord, we, we have hope for today. We have the hope from heaven in you and by your spirit as you lead us and guide us, as you comfort us, as you convict us even. Oh, Lord, thank you that we can come to you at any time. Lord, your invitation is standing, it is constant, that in all of our needs, we can come boldly into your throne room of grace and find the mercy we need and find the wisdom we need and, Lord, to find the hope that we need. And I pray as we study your word this morning that through your spirit, you would speak to our hearts Lord, we are all at different places in our life. We, we've come into this room with different baggage, so to speak. And God, you know and you see and you love us so much. You'll meet us where we're at. And so, Lord, on our side, we would ask that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit would say. Give us a heart that's open. And Lord, even beyond that, that we would be obedient to those things that you would prompt us to do in response to your truth. Father, our prayers go outside of these four walls. We lift up the other churches and chapels and fellowships here on island. Bless our brothers and sisters across Okinawa and Japan. And Father, we pray for those uh, in mainland Japan, especially as they are displaced, they've lost their home, they've lost businesses, uh, many lives have been lost. Uh, Lord, we, we pray for your grace and comfort and mercy and provision uh, to be just 
uh, overwhelming in, in a, sense, a good way, Lord. And so we lift up uh, just the area affected by the earthquakes, we pray. Lord, we love you, and we ask and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord, take a moment, greet a neighbor, and uh, you know, have a seat after. Well, I imagine some of you already know this, but just um, doing some research and looking at some of the topics we'll be covering, uh, studied a little bit on, on the subject of light and uh, in the scientific world. Uh, it, it really is a fascinating topic to explore and subject to consider. Uh, light, unlike sound, uh, which sound only exists in, in, as waves, right? And sounds measured in, in variable qualities. It has uh, frequency, there's time, there's volume, there's velocity. Those are some of the attributes of sound. Uh, light, on the other hand, exhibits as a wave, uh, wave-like, but also as a particle. It has particle-like and wave-like properties. And so, uh, those who study such things, this phenomenon is called the wave-particle duality. I didn't know that until uh, Thursday when I was studying, so you know, don't be impressed by <laughs> uh, my just regurgitating things I read. Um, but it, it was fascinating. And, and really, depending on how, how light is observed, again, it can behave as a continuous wave. And of course, we, we understand that in the natural, in the sense that uh, our microwaves operate that way, infrared operates that way, ultraviolet lights, uh, you know, it's light in waves. Uh, and of course, the visible light spectrum that when, you know, on a, uh, a sunny day on one side and it's raining on the other, right, we, we get to see that light refracted as, as a beautiful rainbow. And that's all part of the, the light uh, spectrum as light waves. Uh, lights then as particles, or lights as photons, well, uh, it's easy for us to see if you watch Star Wars and, you know, this lightsaber, that, that, that's a photon light right there, right? Uh, um, but one, one example that was given in regards to light as particles, apparently there's this experiment where scientists focused this intense light at a metal sheet and then observed uh, that the photons that were acting as they hit the metal sheet were acting like billiard balls or, you know, pool table ball. They'd start bouncing around uh, and transferring then into energy, um, which, you know, that's Einstein's uh, theory of relativity. And so pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, I didn't dig too deep into those things. Uh, but then uh, generally speaking, uh, the speed of sound. So the speed of sound is 343 meters per second. Okay. But the speed of light is 300,000 kilometers per second. And so tremendously, tremendously different, right? I mean, it's like me running against Ellie or Albert, like, you know, I'm more on the sound side and they're on the light side, of course. And, um, and, and by my own observation, I know that to be true, you know, that the speed of sound is much slower, especially... If you uh, have a teenager, uh, at least that's the way it appears to me, because I would speak, and then somehow the sound travels really slow to them. You know, like later, you know, minutes later they'll acknowledge. And so, uh, but again, on light on the other hand, extremely fast. Uh, again, we observe that, but we like that's why uh, you know when the fireworks are happening at Mihama or different parts of the island, you you know you can see them, right? You see the light. And then seconds, moments later, you hear the boom 
of those said fireworks. Uh, again, the article that I read said that in one second, light can travel around the earth more than seven times. Pretty, pretty amazing. All that to say, as we come into this section of scripture, John is going to talk about light. And he's going to talk about light for a while, and he's going to contrast it to darkness. And, and he tells us, as we read here plainly in verse 5, that, that God is light. And, and while I think it's fascinating, uh, very fascinating, uh, you know, the, the scientific study of light, the, even the correlations of that scientific studies, uh, known properties of physical light as it relates to God, when John talks about God being light, it isn't necessarily, the emphasis isn't on the scientific side of that. It's on the spiritual side. He, he's not giving us a, a lesson on quantum physics. He's not taking us back to high school physics class. Uh, his reference of light and his reference of darkness, in some ways, is an analogy. Uh, it's a metaphor. Uh, he's talking about the brilliant nature of God in God's purity and God's goodness and God's holiness and God's wholeness. When he speaks of God being light, he, he's talking about God's uh, spiritual luminescence uh, of his very being in, in a world contrasted to darkness in a world of depravity in a world of brokenness in a world of sin, again, depicted by darkness uh, and he's speaking not necessarily of the absence of physical light, but he is talking about spiritual darkness and a broken morality, you know, the sinfulness. That's the idea. And so John sets forth as we look at this section and even beyond it uh, in his writing style, a, a series of conditions. And he's going to use this phrase, if we say, and, and he'll I'll come back to this phrase again in the latter part of his letter. But what he does is he, he'll set forth a premise for us, uh, a conditionality for us. And then, he, then he'll say, okay, well, if this is true or if this isn't true, then here are two opposing outcomes. Here are two options that exist. And depending then how we answer that premise, uh, one of those outcomes will be true based upon our answer of the question. And, and his writing style is pretty direct. He just, uh, again, we, we talked before, he presents the world in a diametric way. It's good and it's bad. It's right and it's wrong. It's light and it's dark. Um, it's love of God. It, it's uh, hate of the world. And, uh, but there's also some pretty beautiful depth, even in the simplicity of what he presents to us. And so, this morning, we're going to unpack verses 5, 6, and 7 together, trusting that the Spirit of God himself will illuminate these words for us in our hearts, and again, that we can put a handle on some of these truths, and we'll carry out of these, this building with us this morning. So I draw your attention back to verse 5. We'll take that first part. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. This is John's bridging statement from verses one through four. Uh, he's used similar language even in those first four verses. And so he's continuing his thought here. Remember what he's told us essentially is that the gospel is not uh, fiction. It's fact. 
that John and others, remember he used the pronoun we, you read all through chapter one, it's we heard, we saw, we touched, we declare to you. So it's not just his own experience, but he is speaking on behalf of himself and the other disciples, the other apostles, uh, the many others who saw and talked and had an interaction and encounter with, with Jesus. Uh, they walked with him and talked with him. And so the gospel then, he's declaring to them, well, it's, not, it's not a story. It's not just something we've made up, but it, it factually happened. It, actually, it, hap- it happened in reality. And, and the fact that he has declared it, it was manifested. He, he says, we declare to you several times. Right? It's almost to the point where we're like, okay, John, we get it. We know that you saw and you heard, and we know that you've declared. And he continues this thought, the idea that it's, it's to be shared publicly not to be stashed privately. It's not to be hoarded, but it is then to be given out. And, and, and the gospel is God's invitation, as he told us in three and four, to fellowship with him, relationship with God. And of course, that there's a fullness of joy uh, for every believer, for every person who turns from sin, their sin, and, and gives their life to Jesus Christ, who turns from darkness and comes into the marvelous kingdom of God's light. So the overall message that he is saying, this message, well, that's the message. That John is referring to the message of the gospel, God's love, God's goodness, God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's mercy, God's message of eternal life, the good news of Jesus Christ who came and lived and died for you and for me and all of the world. And so this is the third time that John uses this verb heard. This is the message we have heard and what he's heard from them or heard from him. Excuse me. Now he, he's speaking in the the perfect tense, by the way, you know, we read it at least in my uh, translation and I read and say from the new King James version, of course I stay from other versions too, but um, but in the, in the original Greek, it's the perfect tense, that word heard in it. And it basically means that yes, John has heard it in the past, but it still reverberates today. It, there, it's still ringing in his ears, if you will. It's like a song or a melody that you can't get out of your head, right? A jingle. Has it ever happened to you? Like you hear it and you're like, oh great, that thing's stuck in my head. Um, should I put one in your head right now? No, I shouldn't. <laughs> And so John is asserting then uh, the, the authenticity by his witness. He's asserting then the authority of his own testimony. Of course, he was an apostle. We talked before about how they recognized the apostles, even the call that God had on their lives. We talked about Peter recognizing in real time that the things that even they were writing were scripture. And so John, we're told he's heard, well, he heard from Jesus. This is the message we heard from him. He heard directly from Jesus. He's one of the first disciples that were called by Jesus. He, he knew Jesus personally. His knowledge didn't come secondhand. It wasn't, um, you know, um, hearsay. But he, it came straight from the source. That he could say, I walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus. I knew Jesus. We ate with Jesus. Uh, he had a, 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 literally a personal connection with the living Lord. Now, we, now, that's true of all of us too. But it looks different right, today. 
Our relationship with the Lord just as real. We talked last Sunday, just as tangible, just as impactful. Uh, but it's the spirit of Jesus then that lives inside of us that connects us with the Lord. Many years ago, there's a family in our church, the Longorias, and uh, he was a, they were a Marine Corps family, and um, the dad's name was Jesus. And I think I shared this story before with you, but it was fun because uh, in this sense, because when he called me uh, on my phone, it just said, it said, Jesus is calling. It just looked like Jesus is calling. So uh, anytime he called me, if I was around with people, I'm like, look, look who's calling me. He got my number. I, you know, so. John would get phone calls from Jesus. No, he he also repeats for the fourth time, this is the message that we are declaring. This is the message we are sharing. Again, he's told us so before. We declare this to you. We proclaim this to you. We, we write this to you. Again, John has been faithful in the commission that Jesus gave him. And really gave the disciples, gave all of us to go therefore and make disciples of all nations teaching them the things that Jesus had given to them, um, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so John has been faithful to boldly share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and we were challenged, hopefully encouraged last week by John's example. We talked about how God is uh, still desires for this message to go forth that the message of the gospel would go out to the ends of the earth, that the message of his love and forgiveness, the message of salvation only in the name of Jesus Christ, in Christ alone, by faith alone, by the grace of God alone, according to the word of God alone, to the glory of God, that that message still goes forth. We still then live in a broken world in darkness, and then we get to be then those that carry that message and Share that message. If you name the name of Jesus Christ this morning, I hope that you realize that you have been called and you have been commissioned. We have been commissioned by God himself uh, to bring the good news of Jesus to the people around us. And, and, and God keeps it really simple for us. And we'll kind of restate what we stated from last week, because that's really in verse five, he, that's what he's doing, right? This is the message we heard from him and we're declaring to you. He's already told us that several times. And so we can, we can consider the idea of evangelism, sharing the good news, sharing our faith, just simply as this. We, we get to, and maybe we should even rephrase it, we should, we get to and we should share with others what God has given to us. This is the message we've heard from him and we declare to you. And so that's really what witnessing is. That's really what sharing our faith is. The things we've heard from Jesus, the, the things that God has done in our life, what we've received from God, we get, we get to and we should share then with other people. Well, what's the specific facet of, of what he's heard, what he's experienced, the, the specific aspect of the gospel that John wants to share? That's the rest of verse 5. Here's the message we've heard from him. Here's what we're declaring to you, that God is light. That God is light and in him, no darkness at all. That statement is emphatic. There's no modifier. There's no article there. 
It's not God is a light. God is a God, uh, a light of many lights or God. It's not even God is the light or God, uh, excuse me, yeah, God is a light or God is the light. It's just God is light. And so John is declaring a very powerful, a very, very beautiful truth. He's speaking of, of the totality of the nature of God, the all-encompassing quality of our God in heaven. Now, the first part of this letter, as I mentioned, uh, the theme of light, he will stay on this topic for a while. But then he'll pivot. He'll move from light, that God is light. Then he's going to talk about how God is love. And then he'll develop the theme and talk about how then God is love. Now, John is unique in the sense that there's no other New Testament writer that provides as much detail on the nature of God than John. Through the gospel of John and through his letters. John is the one who tells us that that God is spirit. John chapter 4 verse 24. God is spirit. And those of us, he calls us then to worship him in spirit and in truth. He tells us here that God is light. And then twice he'll tell us in 1 John 4, 8 and 16 that God is love. Again, no article, no modifier. God is light. God is love. God is spirit. God is light. God is love. It's not, they're not, they're not merely attributes like, like God is mercy and God is justice, right? God, God is merciful and God is a God of justice. Again, the, the statement embodies the very essence of who God is. God is spirit. God is light. God is love. He's these, those very things. And we read it with like, all right, that, that, it's simple enough, but it's very profound. Again, there, there's a depth to that simplicity. When the Bible speaks of God, uh, you know, he, he brings forth physical light. We're told that God dwells in marvelous light. Uh, there are aspects of this that speak to the physical quality and a physical manifestation of God in terms of as light. We have an example of that in the Gospels when, when Jesus goes uh, to the Mount of uh, Transfiguration. He's there on the mountaintop with John and James and Peter. They have this amazing uh, you know, life-changing experience with Jesus. I like to refer to it as basically a sneak preview of coming attractions. When And why they call it the Mount of Transfiguration. You go to Israel, um, there's no, you can't like, where's the Mount of Transfiguration? There's no Mount of Transfiguration. Um, it just, it's named that based upon what happens there. Now, some people might believe it's Mount Hermon in the north. Anyways. There, there on that mountain, we read in the gospel of Matthew that, that Jesus transfigured. He transformed. All of a sudden, um, Matthew says that his face began to shine like the sun and his clothes became this, this brilliant white, white as light is what Matthew describes for us. And so there are times where he, you know, God is manifested as light, a physical light. 1 Timothy 6.16 says, that he alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light. 
first part of that verse. The psalmist declares, uh, you know, it's part of a song we sing. He wraps himself in light. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. Psalm 104 verse 2. Again, so there are, there are elements or aspects of this where God being light and, and there's the physical component of that. Um, but here in John, he's describing the nature of God. Light being a, a figurative speech in one sense, a metaphoric uh, reference, but still true. Again, his holiness, his purity, the, the truth of God, the goodness of God. And so God is light. God is good, and God is pure, and God is righteous. Completely, entirely, holistically. And he adds to that, then, if that is true, then in him there is no darkness at all. Darkness cannot exist because God is pure light. And so when he uses, again, the, the term of darkness, and he'll come back to this theme, it, it's used as a metaphor He's not talking about physical darkness, although there's great correlation between the two, but he's talking about evil and moral corruption, depravity. That's the idea. And just as physical light dispels physical darkness, if you will, the, the spiritual implication is also true. That God, who is entirely good, entirely pure, entirely whole, entirely true, therefore nothing then un pure or untrue or unholy can exist with God. James writes in a similar way in James 1.17, he says, God is the father of lights in whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. And the idea of, of that phrase is that ordinary lights create shadows Other lights will flicker and fade with time. Your battery dies. Your bulb dies. I mean, even the sun is occasionally eclipsed. The glory of God is eternal. And the goodness of God and the holiness of God is eternal. The the, the light of God and God being light, it's shadowless because it's all-encompassing. It's completely brilliant. Again, when you think about the, then the, the idea of light, you know, light is pure, light is powerful. God being light, if there's no shadow, the idea then it, it's, it's pervasive. There's no shadow, nothing can escape then, you know, the, the light of God, God being light. And one of the ways that we measure light today is in lumens. We're looking at different flashlights or projectors sometimes we're looking at how, how, what's the lumens of this particular flashlight of this particular light source like what's the lumens of god what the lumens of god is <laughs> it, it's pervasive it's powerful it's pure and light also brings revelation right it's very revealing uh, when i lived in southern california for many years um Maybe some of you guys have lived there before. Do you, do you know it was a regular nightly occurrence of, of event uh, in Southern California? Uh, a regular nightly occurrence for, for my family was a police helicopter would fly over our neighborhood 
with a big bright spotlight looking for bad guys. Like it was a regular occurrence. Like it was just kind of part of like living there. Like, oh, there, there's a police helicopter and they're looking for somebody. Um, they never did catch Christy, so it's pretty good. So, <laughs> Well, you know, they, they have this huge light because they're looking for, right, somebody in the darkness. And so, but they're limited by their spotlight. And so, they, you know, they fly over and they have to look and do, you know, all the searches. And, and so the idea of God being light, then nothing, nothing is hidden then from him. All is exposed quality of that, of being pure and powerful, pervasive, revealing. Everything is exposed. God, God being entirely good, entirely true. And so John is making this declaration and he's going to build upon this foundational truth. And that's why we're, we're, we're camping here for a little bit to make sure we understand all that. And because from that, he's going to launch then into these, these probing considerations and he frames them as conditional statements and questions. The light, God is light. In him, there's no darkness. Everything is exposed. God is pure. It's the power of God, the pervasiveness, the revelation that God brings. And since that's true, here's what he says. Here's the first consideration he brings us into. If we say, verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him, if we say that, if we make this claim, establishes the criteria. Do we, do we say, do you say that you have fellowship with God? Remember when he uses this word, we talked last week that, that God's brand of fellowship is not like how we often define fellowship. If you've been in church for some time in Christian circles, you know, we, we tend to use that word and it's okay. I, I don't think that we you know, don't have to use that word fellowship, uh, but we, we, we tend to use that as more of a descriptive of us hanging out or gathering together. And we, we kind of apply it to a lot of different things, right? Let's go to the mall and have fellowship. Let's go to karaoke and have fellowship. You know, let's, uh, let's, we have fellowship at a meal. In several weeks, um, you know, so, some of us will partake in Super Bowl fellowship. Right? When the 49ers take the whole thing. Right? So th- those, you know, th- those times are a form of fellowship. They're an extension of our fellowship of the Lord. But, but real fellowship, the way that God would define it, the, the brand of God's fellowship, it's much deeper it's this genuine, authentic, it's just us being real, real with God, real with ourselves, but then we're connected. And so it's a connection of our lives and it's a connection of our soul. It's a connection of our being. It's this, this bonding of us together as we share, right? As we share in joy, as we share in struggles and trials, we're as we're on the struggle bus together. You know, it's all, it's all of these things as we share in the goodness of God. And it's more than superficial, what should be. It's more than surfacy. It's a, it's a deep connection. And so to say that we then have fellowship with God, if you, if you declare, if you say you claim 
that you have a connection, that you have communion, that you have a, a, a relationship with God. We need to understand that that's not just a general knowledge of God. And that's not necessarily just based upon the way that you were brought up. Right? I, if you're raised in a Christian home, I envy you. What a heritage that you have. But that doesn't automatically equal that you then are a Christian yourself. Uh, and it's not even necessarily about just coming to church, although don't get me wrong, coming to church is important. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 10.25, we shouldn't neglect, we shouldn't ditch church. That this is important. But just coming to church in itself doesn't make us believers, doesn't make us Christians. Famous preacher Billy Sunday said, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a garage makes you an automobile. And so it's, it's, not, it's not even about being good in itself. Christianity isn't necessarily just uh, good moral teaching. It's not the, the idea that, oh, we're, we're going to come and just, you know, it's a Jesus TED talk. And so we're going to just make ourselves a little bit better. No, the Bible says we're, we, we are, we, we're broken. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. It doesn't just make us better. It makes us new. It makes us alive. And so we have to understand when we talk about then fellowship, it's not even just being religious. It's not even just being spiritual. And so he makes this premise for us. If we say that we have fellowship with God, if we claim then to be a Christian, we're, we're claiming that we're saved. And understand that faith in Christ is more than just words. It is to believe in our heart and then confess with our mouth. It, it starts first with a heart transformation. And, and what John will lead us into, as James has done before, right? If, 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 there's, um, if there's a root there, there should be fruit there. And so faith in Christ is more than just a confession. It's more than just words. It, it's, it's confession backed by or supported or evidenced by conduct. Our, our profession equals then our practice. If you're familiar with the book of James, you remember James says, faith without works is dead. Not that we work for our salvation, but remember that fruit should follow a confession, right? Our faith should produce a transformation in our lives. And so this is what John is saying. Not just words, not just say, oh, I'm a Christian, not just because they might say that on your dog tag. And so he sets up this conditionality and then he ties it to a very stark warning. If we make this claim, we say that, that we're a Christian, we say that we, we believe in Jesus, we have fellowship with God, but then we walk in darkness and, and he doesn't, uh, he just bare knuckle punches us. He says, you lie, you're a liar and, and you don't practice the truth. And so that's the claim. If we make this claim, we, we, we know God, we love God, we were Christians, I'm a Christian, but then I live in sin, 
Now, the idea of walk in darkness, understand this, that, that's the idea of lifestyle. That's the idea of habitual practice. That, when the Bible talks about walking, it's a metaphor for what we do regularly, what we're practicing, what we're known by. It's our regular you know, um, lifestyle. We make a claim that we, we know Jesus, yeah, we're a Christian, uh, and yet you or I live in sin, and my lifestyle and your lifestyle outside of these four walls, outside of our 90 minutes together, is completely contrary to the thing that we then profess, that we claim. John says, you're faking it. You're lying. You're lying to yourself. You're lying to God. You're lying to other people. Way back in the day, uh, when I was in high school, at Kadena High School, go Panthers. Uh, there was a season in my life where a group of us would bodyboard, so we'd go down to Snobby. And, and then there was these other kids who, um, you know, there was a certain kind of culture and what you would wear, and, you know, flip-flops and shirts and puka shells. Then there was a group of kids that, that, that wore those things, but we never saw them out in the water. And yet they made claims of surfing and bodyboarding. And we're like, all right, well, come with us. And they never came. You know, there's a term that we gave them back in the late 80s and 90s. You know what it's called? Posers. Yeah. Like, oh, you're just a poser. They, they looked it. They claimed it. Their mouths said it. They learned some of the lingo. But never did we see them in a wetsuit. Never did we see them in the water. There's making a false claim. I mean, John is essentially saying the same thing. You might know the lingo. You might make the claim. But if you're not really in the waters of faith, you're a spiritual poser. You're lying. You lie to God and you lie to yourself and you're lying to others. Now, there's one element of this where you can look at it in two ways we can consider. One, one is just a, a test of our sincere affections. The other, the other is a test of our salvation. It seems to me that the better fit is that he is challenging the person in regards to salvation, not necessarily sincere affections. But he's writing to the person sitting in church who claims to be a Christian, who claims to love God, who claims to know Jesus by their words but then by their lifestyle, by their actions outside of church, outside of those walls, would reveal nothing to support it. There's no evidence to the claim. And it's a very sobering, uh, well, there, I would say there is a very sobering, and I would even say it's a very scary passage, where Jesus essentially um, tells us of the same thing in, in a very different way. He, in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus essentially points to a day in the future. It's a scene in heaven where a group of people come to him who have made a profession of faith, who have made a claim of faith that they, that they know Jesus. They even make a claim of, of doing things. And yet they don't really have a relationship with him. In Matthew 7, 21 and verse 23 in the ESV version, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says, I, I, I know Jesus. 
I, I follow Jesus. Lord, Lord. They're not, not everyone who says that is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. And then he says, on that day, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty works in your name? And the idea of that is that it's just in name only. That's the idea. It's just a label. There's no loving relationship there. It's just religious. It's ritual. And Jesus, and this is sobering. He says, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. I don't know you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity or lawlessness. That, that's some sobering words from Jesus. Expressing his own heart of the necessity then that uh, it has to be more than just words. I mean, consider then what's on the line if we're playing church. We go just through the motions. We're, we're, we learn the lingo. We, 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 we get the church merch. We do things in the name of Jesus, but we don't really know Jesus. Understand the group in Matthew that Jesus is speaking of makes claims, but they don't have real communion. It's a phony fellowship. I never knew you. Those works weren't really for me. Oh, you, you put a Christian label on it. You, you said my name. I hope we understand the impact, impact of this, right? Like God doesn't play games with our soul. God, God doesn't play games with, with our salvation. And the idea is that neither should we. And so it is sobering and it is a, it is a bare knuckle punch in the face of a reality check of where, where are we at today in our walk with the Lord? If we say, if we make this claim, he says, if we claim to know Jesus and yet you or I continue in unrepentant sin, to do that is to live a lie. And that, again, that's the idea of what it means to walk in darkness. It, it, it denotes habit. It denotes a regular lifestyle. It denotes practice. And so we have to understand he's not, he's not talking about when we stumble, when we, when we trip up, because we do. He's going to address that later on in verse 8. He's going to say in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, guess what? We also lie. You're writing to the believer. So he's not talking about, oh, we need to be perfect, that, we, we, you know, that we're going to be completely sinless. Hopefully in our sanctification, we will sin less. <laughs> but we don't enter into perfection until we leave this body and this temptations of Mr. Donut and all, you know, all that we go through until we stand in glory face to face with our Savior. And so I hope you understand it's, it's very 
crucial for us and critical to understand that John's not presenting this unattainable, uh, you know, perfection status, not unrealistic legalism that we got to, you know, follow these rules and you better live flawlessly by them. It's not a, a reintroduction of the law. But rather, he is challenging the person who makes the claim, I know Jesus, and there's no fruit. You know, in, in a world that we live in, that uh, many are obsessed with social media and Instagram filters, we live in a world of curated, very carefully curated images. It, it, it often presents a, a filtered and sometimes a false reality, right? It's just, it's an image of our life. We're taking multiple shots to get the right light and the right setting and finding the right filters. And, and so essentially John is challenging us Listen, we need to live an unfiltered life. Like step into the unfiltered bright light of God's uh, revealing pervasive light. Be confronted with the reality that it has to be more than words. You, you and I can't hide, nor should we try, nor should we filter our life, nor, nor should we just present it as though it's something in reality it's not. If you do that, John basically says, you, you're, you're deceiving yourself. You don't practice the truth. And consider what's at stake as Jesus tells us in Matthew. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light. So here's the other conditionality. If we say we have fellowship, but then we walk in darkness. But if we, if we walk in the light, it's still an extension. If we say we have fellowship. If we say we have fellowship, but we walk in darkness, that's a lie. If we say we have fellowship. And if we walk then in the light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light. The idea then is, well, well yeah, we, we, we validate, we verify, we, we agree, we, we have fellowship. Then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So there's the contrast. We're not just giving lip service to our faith and then walking in sin and living in depravity and playing a game and playing you know, claiming Christian on Sunday and then living like the devil the rest of the week. No, but if we're, if we're walking the talk, we're walking in the, the light. To walk in the light essentially just means to walk in obedience. We're walking the agreement and the, the character and the nature of God. We're, we're living that out. Hence the, the title of our whole series, right? We're, we're living in the light and the love of the Lord. And so to walk in the light essentially means we're lined up with what God declares and God reveals. And not, we stumble, we, we, we blow it. And, and we'll get there next week. We'll talk about it. And he'll just say, listen, you can't, you can't say that you don't have any sin because if you say that, then guess what? You're also lying. <laughs> You're deceiving yourself. And then he gives us this beautiful promise in verse nine, our spiritual soap. Because then when we blow it and we blow it, well, then we can confess our sin. We acknowledge the truth. Lord, I messed up. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. Confess our sins. Well, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But it, it is to live our lives in a sense above reproach. 
We're walking in the light. Light, light, is, light exposes. Light reveals. Nothing's hidden in the light. Have you ever eaten dinner in the dark? Have you ever been to a place where it's really dark and they serve you something? And you turn on your iPhone and you're like, what am I eating? There, there's a restaurant on, on island that uh, it's always dark when we go. But one time me and Christy went during the daytime and we're like, whoa, like we didn't realize, well, first of all, we didn't realize how dirty it was in there. <laughs> like, oh, they, that's why it's so dark. Why? Because light exposes, right? Light, light reveals truth. And so for us then to walk in the light as he is in the light, the idea is that we walk according to the nature of God. His example, his pattern, his empowerment. Exposed. Transparent. What you see is what you get. Not perfect, but honest. This is the condemnation, John 3, 19 through 20. This is the condemnation. This is the judgment, another version reads. That light has come into the world. Speaking of Jesus. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. And, and everyone who does evil, everyone who practices that, lives in sin, guess what? They, they hate the light. And they don't come into the light. Why? Because, well, their deeds will be exposed. It'll be revealed. And people who, who love their sin, often they love the dark. They don't like the light. They don't like, want to be exposed. They're not walking in the light. They're not walking in truth. They're not walking in transparency. It's often darkness. It's secret. It's hidden. It's, it's, it's shame. Francis of Assisi, he said that all the darkness in the world cannot extinguish the light of a single candle. And so when we walk in the light, it exposes the darkness. It dispels the darkness. Jesus claimed, I, I am the light of the world. And then he would say to his disciples and you and me, you are the light of the world. And so then as lights of Christ, we, we're, we're to walk then in that. We're to live that out. That's the same term, the, the idea of walk. Make it a habit. Make it a practice. It's our lifestyle. It, it's our pursuit. It's uh, what we do habitually. It's it's a practice that we do. It's a pursuit that we have. It's, it's to love God. It's to glorify God and, and love God and love people as Jesus did. Essentially, that's just our mandate right? as Christians. Let's pursue the Lord, seek the Lord, draw close to God. The beautiful part of that promise is as we do, he'll draw closer to us. I'm going to love God and love others. And Jesus is our, he's our, our prototype, right? He's our model that we example our lives after. And he says, when we do that, if we're doing that, then we have fellowship with one another. And we talked a lot about this last Sunday, a genuine community of grace, right? A genuine community of connection, of doing life together. It, it's not fake. It's not phony. It's not plastic, it's real. We're real with each other. We recognize, all right, we're not perfect. We blow it. We're practicing grace. We're encouraging each other. We're spurring each other on. We're, we're giving the benefit of doubt. We're esteeming others better than ourselves. 
uh, you know, we, we lovingly support, we're spurring each other on to good works. And we get to do this in this season that we're here together. And I, and I pray again that you'd plug in and be a part. It's so good for our, our walk with the Lord, accountability and encouragement that we need. We, we've said this many times before. We're, we're just, the way that God has designed us, we need each other. We're better together. We're, we are better together, full stop, and then we're also, we do better together. And then he says, in the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, the last part of verse seven, cleanses us from all sin. I mean, this is a declaration of the gospel. This is to know that you and I, in our BC days, we were spiritually dead in our sins. We are bankrupt morally, but, but God, but God in his great mercy and God in his great love who loved you, even while you and I were yet sinners, demonstrating that love by sending his son to live and die for you because of God's great grace. We have been redeemed. We've been rescued. We've been made alive. We've been born again. We've been, uh, PCS out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into his kingdom of light of, of his son. Right? Not based on anything that we do or that we have done, but all because of Jesus Christ. And it is then because of his blood, we come to place our complete faith and trust in the finished complete work of what Jesus has done for you and for me. We, we've been brought into then this loving relationship with the father through the son. And it's upon that foundational truth that our fellowship exists. That we've been forgiven and cleansed by the blood of the lamb. Amen. Let me recap real quick. Oh, Becca, why don't you guys come? We'll do that. Can we do that blood of Jesus song? That fits perfectly. Uh, that we, we get to share with others what God has given to us. That's the things that we receive, the message we receive from him, we declare to you. God keeps it simple for us. And understand that our, if we say this, our, our faith needs to be more than words. It's a confession that's, that's followed by, supported by. If, the, if there's a root in our heart, there should be fruit that is evidenced. And so our our you know, we need to walk the talk. That's the idea, right? To claim to know Jesus, and yet we walk in dark. We, we, we're in unrepentant sin. That, to do that is to live a lie. John just tells us plainly. But, but for us, you know, if we, we claim to know the Lord and we walk then according to the Lord, we walk in the light, that means we're walking according to his nature. We're being obedient to his spirit, to the word of God. And, and John just tells us, this is, this is our life. We, we get to practice and pursue the Lord himself. To love God and to love others as Jesus did. And ultimately, we're better together and we do better together. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for the morning. May we walk in the light as you are in the light. May these truths be more than just words we hear. May they become practices and actions we take in sincerity or in genuine um, fruit.
fruit of a genuine love that we have for you. In Jesus' name, amen.